on this episode of Jeff Does Vegas. 2017, traded a lot of altcoins, trying to just learn all of how this works. Wallets and encryption and mining and proof of stake and all these other principles. 2017, made a lot of money. Took every single dollar of that and invested it into an ICO in 2018 and just got what is called rugged. <laughs> Literally lost everything in that. So I had to start all over in 2018. And uh, I was working at Omni Nightclub at the time. And I was like, okay, this is my last chance to get in on this ride before it just goes to the moon. Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is Jeff Does Vegas. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 110 of Jeff Does Vegas. Before we get into this episode of the podcast, I want to thank my very special guest from the last episode, comedy legend, the one and only Carrot Top. We talked about his beginnings in show business, the current state of comedy, his long-running Vegas residency at the Luxor, and much, much more. If you haven't checked it out yet, jump into the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com or search out episode number 109, my special guest, Carrot Top, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, here we go. On to the show. Cryptocurrency. Blockchain non-fungible tokens, altcoins. If you pay any attention to current events or financial news, these are likely all terms you've heard used frequently over the last couple of years. And chances are you've got a person or people in your life who claim to be experts on all of these things. But what the hell are they? And how do they relate to Las Vegas? My guest for this episode is going to try to break it down for us in the simplest terms possible. Making his second appearance on the podcast is Jake Gallen. Jake previously hosted a podcast called The Guest List, where he featured interviews with local Las Vegas creators, leaders, and entrepreneurs. In early 2022, Jake rebranded and shifted his focus to the world of crypto and NFTs. He also founded a crypto consultation firm and has gotten heavily involved in the Las Vegas crypto scene. Jake and I connected on my last trip to Vegas, and he was kind enough to explain exactly what cryptocurrency is, who creates it, how and if it's monitored, and how people make money off of it. Jake also went in-depth on what an NFT is and how people are currently using them. We also talked about the potential future use of crypto and NFTs in the world of Las Vegas. Please enjoy my conversation with Jake Gallen. First discovered Ethereum in summer of 2016, didn't make my first investment until spring of 2017. And when I first discovered Ethereum and the idea of smart contracts, it really just captured my curiosity in my mind. It, it made sense, but 
Also, I was just graduating from UNLV within the last six months. I didn't really know anything about financial literacy, but technology I knew. So that made sense. And then I was reintroduced to it early 2017 from a what's called an altcoin project. So anything that's not Bitcoin is considered an altcoin, I guess, depending on who you talk to in the space. Um, Or it goes even further, and I might say this, is that anything that's not Bitcoin, people call shitcoins, actually. (laughs) Um, So then it just depends on who who you're talking about in the perspective. But once I started really looking into Bitcoin in 2017, understanding like self-sovereignty and decentralized applications and self-custody and all these other buzzwords that we're probably going to mention many times... It really started clicking, and I had never had so much conviction in my life. Understood who Satoshi Nakamoto was, which is the pseudonymous creator of Bitcoin. No one knows if it's a guy, girl, group of people. That Those individuals have 1.2 million Bitcoin in a wallet that's never been touched ever. Um, it kind of helps with the Bitcoin idea and the pseudonymity of crypto, because since there's no leader, it's decentralized there's no attack vectors and there's really no other cryptocurrency that can compare to that so i went down the crypto rabbit hole spring 2017 spending 10 12 hours a day just trying to consume as much information as i could no information back then very limited today there's still even limited information but it's much much better and during those times, I had to do, did multiple businesses in Vegas. And then when the strip closed down is when I started the Guestless podcast, which was just talking with entrepreneurs and leaders in Vegas. And then as I started doing my research, I realized a lot of the, the, the Vegas leaders actually didn't live in Vegas, which was quite interesting coming across your show and all the other like Vegas podcasts. I realized that there needed to be a local perspective, uh, a local Joe Rogan kind of kind of feel to it. And Really, really dove in, but my passion had always been with crypto ever since I I had discovered it. And I felt like my pillars were Vegas, entrepreneurship, networking, crypto. When they would all intersect, I had no idea. And then in 2021, when NFT started gaining popularity, there was this project, and this is going to sound very random, it's going to sound very internet. There was a project called Mooncats, which was rediscovered. And what I mean by that is that when NFTs were blowing up in 2021, there were individuals who were going through the history of the blockchain, mostly on Ethereum, but some other ones as well. And they were finding what essentially were abandoned NFT projects. And when they found this project called Mooncats, it was considered the second oldest NFT at the time. Today, now it's probably like the 100th. And my first ever business in in re- real life after college was an antique store. So to me owning digital antiquities made sense. And so I dove really hard into that. Ended, it ended up leading me to selling Mooncats at Sotheby's Auction House in October. I didn't even know what Sotheby's was until they DM'd me. And come to find out, it was the world's largest auction house, mm-hmm. which had been around for like 300 years. And they had this like large NFT sale. It was called Natively Digital 1.2. I uh, got to Got to hang out with Steve Aoki and Paris Hilton digitally, of course, in the in the Twitter Spaces, which is just the clubhouse version of uh, of Twitter Spaces, um, with a bunch of other collectors. Had good sales, but that really like boosted my my social capital or social rep. The Twitter account went from like two thousand followers today, six months later, is around like seven thousand, and real really helped me like propel myself to be like a NFT influencer, which sounds weird, and. 
I came to this decision towards the end of last year where I was like, okay, now I've had about 150 interviews with, with local leaders. What is next? Where is this leading to? And then there's this huge opportunity of crypto in Vegas. And I had started a crypto consultation firm with a business partner called Native Research that same year and realized there was this massive, massive booming crypto community here. The NFT community is probably close to a thousand active people. There's a lot of these hotels and casinos are adopting crypto principles in their own variation. And I was like, all right, maybe it's time to move from the guestless podcast to the Jake Allen podcast. It'll give me more flexibility and freedom to interview whatever I want, mostly in the crypto space, at least for now. And now I'm starting to put out like more YouTube content as well, which is what you saw at the Zorro World video of just like, all right, if people don't want to hear about monkey pictures and all these like technical properties to it, maybe I could just go there and show them exactly what's happening. And it seems like those like few videos I've put out has really like spoken to some people, maybe because it's a little bit more simplified and um, seeing, oh, Resort World, the newest casinos going super heavy into NFTs and crypto, it's going to capture a lot of people's attendance. And my belief and a lot of us that are in the community out here, the local community, believe that Vegas is going to be an NFT hub. And we could talk about that a little bit, but Uh to me, it just like completely makes sense. So your early experiences with with cryptocurrency was was it good was it bad was it cuz and i'm asking this because i i i'm sure you probably made the same mistakes that a lot of people have made where they just think well i'm just going to buy bitcoin and get instantly rich it doesn't work out like that generally mm-hmm. yeah with with crypto it's more just time in the market than timing the market although if you are have time in the market and time it right you could definitely get instantly rich 2017, traded a lot of altcoins, trying to just learn all of how this works. Wallets and encryption and mining and proof of stake and all these other principles. 2017, made a lot of money. Took every single dollar of that and invested it into an ICO in 2018 and just got what is called rugged. <laughs> Literally lost everything in that. So I had to start all over in 2018. And uh, I was working at Omni Nightclub at the time. And I was like, okay, this is my last chance to get in on this ride before it just goes to the moon. So over the next like two, two and a half years, I was buying mostly Bitcoin and Dogecoin through 2019, 2020. Obviously Dogecoin kind of was like the leader in 2021. Everyone in the world was trying to buy Dogecoin. Your Uber driver was asking about Dogecoin. The, the, the chef at the local restaurant was trying to buy Dogecoin. And that helped me like continue on with the, the NFT grind. But yeah, I've got a good old fashioned rugging just as most people do. So I like to think of myself as semi-worldly. I'm also old. I don't, (laughs) I don't, I need you to explain this to me like I'm five, because when I look at it, it sounds to me like it's just a bunch of made up stuff. And so, but I guess really when you break it down, so is quote unquote real money. It's just somebody's making that up too. So I'm going to get you to explain it to me like I'm five. Mm -hmm. What is cryptocurrency? How does it work? We're going to start there. That's yeah. that's the probably the base place to start. I think even one step before is trying to understand what value actually means. When I owned an antique store, that really taught me how people perceive value. Why is Aunt Sally paying $700 for this vase, but then her nephew who's 
21 wouldn't pay $7 for it. Like, to me, it just didn't make sense. So help me understand the ideas of nostalgia plays a role, um, the the quality of the, the actual, like, physical properties of something or digital properties. And then you kind of have to understand trends as well. So what crypto is, we'll start with cryptocurrency first and the idea of what a blockchain is. Bitcoin. So Bitcoin was created in 2008. Uh, went live January 3rd, 2009 by pseudonymous creator Satoshi Nakamoto. It was created in the light of the 08 financial crisis because what happens in all of these crises, and it's happened multiple times, and Satoshi's vision is now playing out to what they, what they spoke about. There's in the financial crisis, what happens generally is the corporations and the big banks get bailed out, right? And if they get bailed out by a vote of the US Senate and the, and the Congress, and then it gets signed off by the president. And so then they print more money. And what happens when you print more money, right? In an inflationary setting, which we are today, what are the first things to acquire value is generally hard assets. So things like stocks, commodities, and then even more risk on assets like Pokemon cards and sports cards and shoes and all these things. But then when you're printing money, something has to devalue because now you're putting more of a supply out into the world. And so whoever's holding dollars loses their purchasing power. So it's kind of the situation of the rich get richer and the poor gets poorer. And so now it's happened again since then. So Satoshi had this vision that we need to create we need to create some sort of monetary value that's independent of a uh, political jurisdiction. And we see now that there was there's always supposed to be a, a separation of church and state between the Federal Reserve and the politicians. But now in today's climate we see Jerome Powell who's the the Fed chair is basically running the world, right? All of the whole financial system is just predicated on their uh, their interest rate hikes and all these other scenarios that are kind of annoying to talk about. So Satoshi created something called Bitcoin, which is on a blockchain, and cypherpunks had been working on this for, for decades. Uh, there had been since the early, I believe early 80s, different digital, I guess you call them digital engineers, had been trying to create something about Bitcoin. There was a few issues um, with, with digital currencies that were an issue before Bitcoin. One was called the double spend problem, where if I issued you a transaction before the blockchain was existed, how can I ensure that I don't send you $5, Jeff, and then send Aunt Sally $5 at the same time with the same $5 that are in my bank account? So that was like initially the main, the main problem. And then there's counterparty risk too, where how do I transact with somebody on the other side without having to know who, who exactly they are? So with, with Bitcoin specifically and, and mining, we'll start with the traditional route first, right? So if I send you, Jeff, $10 on Venmo, it's not me sending you exactly $10. If I had $10 cash and handed it to you, that would be what's called a peer-to-peer transaction. There's no intermediaries. Uh-huh. But if I want to send you in today's system $10 digitally... It, first, I have to first they have to notify my bank and saying, "Hey, Bank of America, we're sending Jeff ten dollars through Venmo, right?" And then it goes through Venmo, but then it has to be settled through their payment processors. Then it goes to your bank, so it goes really through like five different people. And if you even start transacting larger amounts, like millions of dollars, the bank has to approve it 
but it's your money, mm-hmm. right? So you don't actually own the money. It's in a bank account. We've seen this happen traditionally with bank runs and sovereign nations where, and we had this just happened in Russia where everyone's trying to run and pull out money and then they limited how much money you could pull out. Mm-hmm. So you're really not in control. And so this is what Bitcoin crypto is, just giving you control of your money. And so if I want to send you, we'll just say one Bitcoin, right? I can send it to you from my wallet because I have it in my wallet and I have, it's called the private keys. It's essentially just a password is mm-hmm. what it is. So I own the password to my wallet. You would have the password to your wallet. I take Bitcoin, I send it to your wallet. And instead of going through this like gigantic banking system, which I just mentioned, it goes through a mining system. And don't think of historical miners that are like underground building things. Right. Although miners historically have this idea of what's called proof of work. They have to prove that they mined it with by dedicating energy sources. So here, I send you Bitcoin. The Bitcoin is what's called encrypted. So it's just masked in cryptography. I was going to say a little bit more technically done stuff, but <laughs> it's just masked in a bunch of like binary ones and zeros. And then all the miners are basically people who are dedicating computer power to solve these cryptographic functions. And so after six different computers have solved the function, then it basically becomes a verified transaction and then it's put into your wallet. And then the miners, every 10 minutes, are rewarded Bitcoin through the entire network. So currently, it's 6.25 Bitcoin every 10 minutes are rewarded on the network. And every transaction is packaged into this like block every 10 minutes. And so then all those transactions have to be solved. And that's kind of like the phase value of Bitcoin is. And then we could go to Ethereum and NFTs. But this simple idea of having uh, self-custodied value and then being able to transact it freely in a permissionless way is an innovation that um, helps so many sovereign nations, um, so so many immigrants who are sending like remittances back home who... If they have to remit money back home, Wells Fargo takes 30%, everybody loses. But if they could just do it in Bitcoin, there's no individual fee. So you're cutting out a lot of the middlemen. So I hope I explained that a little bit. That's yeah. just like the basic idea of it. So is there, is it essentially, is it self-regulated? There's no government regulation on Bitcoin? Yep. No, it's completely independent. The government cannot control it. The only way you could really attack it is what's called a 51% attack, where if an entity controls 51% of the mining power, you can change the algorithm. You could change the consensus. But in order to do that now, it's going to cost $30, $40 billion to do. And since it's decentralized, you can see that there's one group acquiring hash power, essentially, to try to like commandeer the network. Also, crypto has this like underlying game theory attached to it, which is tied into pretty much everything in life. And then the theory with Bitcoin is that it incentivizes people to participate over time. Uh And it starts with the small man eventually becomes to like nation states where we see El Salvador just adopted Bitcoin as legal tender. Uh, We had Ukraine just uh, legalized crypto. And there was one other country that just legalized Bitcoin. And every jurisdiction has their own classification of what Bitcoin actually is. In America right now, it's classified as property, which is very annoying and very complicated that was not the idea of it and then in el salvador it's classified as legal tender so you could use it directly with dollars and no tax implications you mentioned bitcoin you mentioned dogecoin 
but you also talked about the the alt coins and the alt cryptos. So how many other types of, of cryptocurrency out there? And I mean, who who creates that? Who controls mm-hmm. that? Like if I wanted to just create Jeff coin, could I just create Jeff coin and say, give me a bunch of money and I will give you this imaginary Jeff coin? <laughs> like, is that a thing? Yeah, actually, you can. So there's Oh, I don't know. There's probably at least over 10,000 cryptocurrencies themselves. It's open It's open source. Crypto is all open source. So it's, ba- it's based off of merit. Anybody could come in and build. Anybody could deploy a cryptocurrency on a blockchain or, in, or deploy your own blockchain. It doesn't mean it's going to add value, though. You still have to add, to add what's called utility on top of it, or you have to prove that there's a community behind it. It's kind of like the idea of social consensus. The U.S. government says the dollar is worth a dollar. But have you ever, has anyone ever th- stopped and thought, like, why is it a dollar? Uh-huh. It used to be backed by gold. Um, not anymore. That, we got off of that in the 70s. So what is the dollar actually backed by? It's backed by the consensus of the U.S. government. Well, how does the U.S. government have authority to say that the dollar is worth a dollar if they don't have gold in reserves to prove that's a value? It's backed by... It was the petrodollar, it was backed by oil, but now we're seeing that go to waste because of the, the Russia conflict. And so really, it's just backed by military. It's just backed by force, essentially. It's back, backed by, by blood. And so if you have the ability... So, so that would be consensus of the US government. Cryptos are kind of backed by social consensus of the community. If the community says that it's worth this much money, then why go against it? Now you're, you're decentralizing consensus instead of having a, a central power saying that's worth this much. You have a bunch of people conforming around it and saying, yeah, we agree that this is worth this much and uh, we'll participate in it. Does having multiple types of cryptocurrency, does that devalue the other cryptocurrencies that are available? Or, or I mean, is, is something like Bitcoin just untouchable? This is definitely a common discussion. Bitcoin is probably the best store of value we'll ever get. Ethereum is catching up, but they're kind of two different things. Bitcoin is decentralized gold, I guess, is what, you, is what a lot of people like to compare it, where Ethereum is a smart contract platform, and it's more of like a decentralized iOS or a decentralized Windows at face value. Ethereum has more users, or probably does. Bitcoin has more holders. A lot of people think Ethereum will flip Bitcoin, which is possible when i don't know but then there's also the other side of spectrum which is called bitcoin maximalism which a lot of people think that bitcoin is like the say all be all there will never ever be a more form or more pure form of currency to exist which is probably true at some point but the maximalism and the toxicity has turned a lot of people away from adopting it and so a lot of people are now moving on to these layer ones and saying hey this is also this can be currency but it's also utility within its own network so think of like ethereum and ethereum and what are these other ones like polka dot and solana and some of these other ones it's like a decentralized ios or windows that has its own currency so think of it as ethereum has an open source network where Apple has a closed source network and you have to be approved to be in the, in the app store. And Apple also takes 30% of all profits. If a lot of people didn't know that. So the way to get around this is to 
add a currency and then make the app store open source. So anyone can, can contribute and upload as many applications as they want. They're called dApps, decentralized apps. Who would have ever thought that? <laughs> and then you have the currency, which kind of governs a network based off of the people who participate. It could be voting and all kinds of other things. So there's a lot of experimentation that happens. And because of the smart contract functionality is what's kind of brought life to, to NFTs, which we see even more happen. Up next, we dive into the casino industry's potential involvement in the world of crypto, and Jake educates us on what an NFT is. That's coming up on Jeff Does Vegas. So we, we covered cryptocurrencies, right? Mm -hmm. And this is the idea between fungibility and non-fungibility. Fungibility is simply just many, many parts of a whole system that can be replaceable. So most things that are fungible in life are currencies. If both me and you had, I wish, if we each had $100, $100 bills, right, between both of us, and we all threw it on the ground, we could pick up any $100 bill and it still retains the value. Something that's non-fungible is unique. So most things in, in the real world are unique. Humans are unique. Your your art is unique. The the deed to your house is unique. They're all on different properties. So most things are non-fungible. So if we're decentralizing currency, we have to be able to decentralize assets in a digital world. So NFTs are just digital ownership over digital assets, which has never existed. You've never been able to prove that you can own a meme on the internet. You can never prove that you can own a skin in Fortnite. But now you can, and then you can make it, and then you could take it and use it in other systems. So the, the most primitive form of NFTs we see is digital art and digital collectibles. We see CryptoPunk sold for $20, $20 million. The Beeple sale was $69 million. But also, it seems weird when we see these like, oh, I could just right-click save it, as a lot of the naysayers like to say with the pictures. But in a Web3 world, we, we currently exist in a Web2 world. In a Web3 world, all of these tokens will exist in your digital house, like my apartment that we're sitting in. The pictures will all be NFTs. The computer will probably be an NFT. All the art, anything with individual properties will be an NFT. And so a lot of people that are speculating are thinking about this like digital world where everyone can prove that you own digital ownership. And I'll give one example of the creator of Ethereum, Vitalik Buterin. He created Ethereum when he was 18, 19. He actually created Ethereum based off of World of Warcraft story. And this will kind of show what NFTs are. So he was a big World of Warcraft fan when he was, I think it was like 13 or something. And he leveled up some Warlock that took him many years to a level, I think it was like in the 70s. And Blizzard repossessed his Warlock because there was some sort of violation. And he said, because of that, he realized the importance of having digital ownership because yes, he owned that warlock in the game, but Blizzard owns the basically the keys to the entire game, so they could rep repossess anything. But if that warlock was an NFT where Vitalik owned the password to the ownership of that, they could Blizzard could delete the game, but they could never delete the asset itself. And that's kind of what what Ethereum or how Ethereum was created. That's the story behind it. And you bring up the whole idea of like, why can't I just right click and save as, or why can't I just grab a screenshot? Why, why should I spend 
$5, never mind $5 million mm-hmm. on this little thing on the internet when, yeah, I could just do a control, whatever, control alt four on my Mac mm-hmm. and grab a screenshot of it. It's like, well, I own it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's that's the naysayer in me. And that's the old man in me saying, why, why couldn't I just do that? Yeah, that's so the idea, though, is that it's the Web 2 versus Web 3 comparison. So in a Web 2 world, it's all uh, central data storages. So Google, Facebook, Netflix, all of these companies store your data. And basically, they just have done whatever they want with it. We saw this happen with the Cambridge Analytica thing with Facebook. But in the Web3 world, it's all the data is owned by the individual themselves. And then the technologies are being built where you could sell the data to people and you could decide if you want to profit off your own data or not. So in Web2, you can sign in with Facebook, you sign in with Google. Now when you sign when you log into a social media comp- uh, thing, there's like sign in with like 400 different companies. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because all the companies want you want to house your data. But in a Web3 world, you sign in with your your wallet. And your wallet is can be anonymous, it can be pseudonymous, or you can put your real identity on there. And so it becomes non-discriminatory because we've seen this just happen recently with the Russia and Ukraine situation. All of the Russians are being financially censored because of the decision of Putin. Although, personally, I don't think all of the Russians should be punished because of their, their dictator who's making terrible decisions. And so we saw Facebook and a bunch of these other companies coming and censoring all of them. But in a Web3 world, if they signed in and they owned possession of all of their assets, they can't be censored at all. And so that's kind of like the protection and that's the world that we're trying to move into. So when people say right-click save, yeah, you you can own that picture in a Web2 world. But in a Web3 world, you're the only person that owns the password to the token, which will then be integrated into the metaverses and the games and all of the other things that you that require the password for the token for that picture. Now, I guess part of the the question then comes to the financial end of it for the big companies, for Facebook, for Google, for Twitter, for any of those companies and moving into this Web3 world where all of a the sudden they don't own your content. I mean, for them, obviously, they want to own your content because they're making money off of the advertising and everything that's associated with that. I'm assuming that they are getting dragged kicking and screaming into a web three world, not really uh, not really happy about that that web three world. Yep, yeah, you're exactly right. And it's the same with governments and cryptocurrencies this is the same for like social media companies and NFTs. It takes the power away from them and it also just like completely demolishes their their way to make money for their for their platforms of whatever it is, whether you're the government and taxing people or um, you're Facebook and you're just trying to control all the data. Mark Zuckerberg completely pivoted and now they're just called Meta, right? Because uh-huh. he saw the ever-growing trend of it. He's kind of sidestepped NFTs purposely for a long time. They did Instagram came out and said they're going to integrate NFTs. But now it's like, are the NFTs that they create is it going to be in a walled garden where it's like yeah it's a non-fungible token but it's still on the mark zuckerberg blockchain so then they still own all the data or are you going to allow nft integration from from any sort of platform so this is where we get into this this debate but now we see with different different companies in vegas even specifically are now starting to dive into different technologies and using different blockchains which is interesting to see there's this like trade-off with blockchains. It's called the the trilemma. 
it's like a, a triangle. I don't know for those who are in college and the trilemma in college was like sleep, social life, and good grades. And it's like right. you can only have two of three. Right. It when crypto, the trilemma is like decentralization, speed, and security. And it's like you can only get two of the three. And so all of these blockchains are kind of just like trying to trade off the protocol. Bitcoin, you get max security and max decentralization. Ethereum is like it's decentralized and it has and it has security, but now they're trying to move into speed to increase like the transaction. So then they have to sacrifice decentralization, and you get on all of these like just endless semantical debates and and philosophy on like what you actually believe in. But yeah, a lot of the companies are scared, and the ones who adopt it in their own way are they going to be the ones that survive. But I do think from like mass mass adoption, we're still many years away. The UX is still terrible for most most of the the blockchain uh apps but we're getting there in time it's like early internet essentially something that i did read and call me if i'm crazy on this with with the nfts is when you purchase an nft do you own the rights to that nft or do you just own the physical quote-unquote physical item i again this is me going on google and googling what is an nft and how does it work one article I seem to recall reading it, it was very similar to uh, when you would buy music, when you would buy on a, on a CD or a cassette, you owned that CD, you owned that cassette, but you didn't own the rights to it yep. in that you couldn't redistribute it legally. I mean, there isn't a person alive who didn't copy a cassette for a friend or copy a CD for a friend or whatever what you were doing technically was illegal in that you didn't own the distribution rights. So is it similar with that in an NFT and that if I buy an NFT, I can't quote unquote, make copies of that NFT. It's a good question. And there's many different forms of it that, that exist. Yeah. So a good example actually, and then I'll go into the crypto component. There is a gentleman in the crypto space who acquired a black lotus i don't know if you know black lotus is like the most valuable card in magic the gathering that's been around for 25 years he was going to destroy the black lotus there's only less than ten thousand that exist and i think they're worth like fifty thousand each or something he was going to destroy it and make a digital nft version of it he got a cease and desist and couldn't destroy it because he doesn't actually own it himself and that's the way and this happened weeks ago so now in Web3, there's a lot of different applications. The most two popular NFT collections, there's Bored Apes, which a lot of people know, and CryptoPunks. They are both... CryptoPunks was, was created by somebody else, uh, Larva Labs. And Larva Labs limited their commercial usage to 100000 a year. And this upset the community because a lot of these CryptoPunks are worth at least 500000 or more. And a lot of people have built their identity around it because crypto is very, uh, it's a pseudonymous economy. So you can be completely anonymous, you can create a, a, a new false identity, or you can go by your real identity. And some people have two. I have two, actually. So I have Jake Allen and Cat Dad is like both of mine. And so recently, CryptoPunks was acquired by Yuga Labs, which created Bored Apes and granted CryptoPunks the same licensing as Bored Apes. So if you own both those tokens, you have full commercial and personal use. You could go create Bored Ape Coffee. You can go create CryptoPunk Nightclub. You can do whatever you want with it. There's no limitations. But Yuga owns the IP to both collections, which basically means that 
they grant you commercial and personal use, but they could also use the image of your ape or CryptoPunk in a movie or for branding and marketing or whatever other licensing things that they get into. So it's kind of a win-win from both. But then on the other side of the spectrum, there's CCO, which is a Creative Commons law, something like that. And there are a few projects who are gaining traction, which basically means that anybody can can market any of the uh, images from the blockchain or from that collection itself. So what's going to happen is we're going to see individuals within an NFT community that are CCO probably make a lot of money or market it. But then you'll see other marketers come in and use the the images of a collection and not own, owning any of the tokens itself. So it's kind of like going back and forth. We'll really see. But at least at the point now, we're granting more applications in use because it's it's kind of like a new paradigm in a sense. Now you can own your identity. And if we are moving to this metaverse world, a bunch of the things like board Apes and, and CryptoPunks, those will be like your avatar as you walk around, like your Fortnite skin equivalent. And a lot of a lot of individuals have built very strong brands based off of that idea. So still a lot of experimentation to say. And it seems like, I mean, at this point, everybody is releasing NFTs. I'm a huge Formula One racing fan. And I noticed with the 2022 season getting underway, one of the race teams was releasing these NFTs. And it's an NFT of the the front spoiler from their, their, their race car, an NFT of the driver's helmets. And I mean, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, so, I mean, I could create an NFT if I had mad Photoshop, mad Adobe Illustrator skills, and I went on and created a super whammy 3D logo of my podcast, and I could set that up as an NFT. Now, there's no guarantee anybody's going to buy it, right? And I'm guessing that's kind of where where the, the dilemma is. And and I'm wondering, too, does this, getting back similar to the, the, the crypto discussion about diluting the market, is that a risk with this where a year ago, a couple of years ago, NFTs were this new cool thing that was kind of a, 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 a not a trend, but it was something new and cool and unique. And now everybody and their dog is making NFTs. It's diluting it a little bit. The thing, though, with a lot of these like Web2 companies coming into it, they're creating NFTs in the most primitive form, which is they're literally just putting an image at they're putting an image on a token and selling it with no implied utility tied into it. And a lot of those in the crypto space were native, see right through it, and they don't participate in it at all. We saw the one with like Pepsi doing the mic drop and I bought Light and Coca-Cola and all these. And yeah, some of them might have a, a cool transition into the Web3 world and catch some product market fit. But most of them are literally just money grabs. So it's really... It's really going to be interesting to see. Most companies will have an NFT of some sort, but what most but, but what these companies aren't explaining is exactly the utility that they want to imply. So if you distribute 20,000 NFTs w- without an image whatever, now you can have a direct line of communication to all of your owners. So and this is something that I'll see that I talk about that I'll see in Vegas is most tickets will be an NFT. Mark Cuban has announced I, think, I don't know if he's starting at this upcoming season, but most uh, of the Mavericks tickets will will be NFTs. And so then if you have a lot, uh, if you have the Maverick owners owning the ticket as an NFT, you could airdrop them other NFTs, which are like discount codes or one of one events or experiences or IP. 
there's a lot of different things that people are experimenting with. So Gary Vee is like one of the most popular entrepreneurs in the world. Okay. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. He created an NFT project called VFriends. It's 10,000 NFTs. Each NFT is a three-year ticket to his V conference, which he's going to start. But also within that, there was like 500 or so, which were called, or they're like IP tokens, where one is like FaceTime Ferret, and you get to FaceTime with Gary Vee, and one's like Podcast Panther, he'll go on your podcast. The really cool one is called Empathy Elephant. So Gary Vee got really popular from YouTube in the mid-2000s, Empathy Wines, like his brand. If you own the Empathy Elephant, you can brand your own wine within Gary Vee's multi-million dollar wine business. Wow. And so then now people are like thinking, oh, what what is that actually worth? I think somebody paid 500000 for it. And so if you're branding that making money, it's probably worth more than 500000 I mean, he, that's like an eight-figure generating business. So now there's other individuals and, and entrepreneurs like Tom Bileu and some other YouTubers who are hopping in it and trying to find different utilities. NFTs to me are just like gamification of a community. So if you have an existing community, if you could find the strong principles of it and you could play into it, then it only encourage more like trading, but also with NFTs, which I forgot to mention the big, big clicker is that you could tie perpetual royalties into it. So you can, so those artists or musicians or authors who are, just being gouged by the agencies who take 30, 50%. Now the artist can tie in a four or 5% perpetual royalty every time it trades on the secondary market and they make that money back. And now you don't have to go through these middle agencies, not just like direct to consumer. So those are just some cool things with NFTs, but it could also be like metaverse land and there's going to be even more things that pop up in the future. It makes sense when you explain it to me like that, like I'm five, <laughs> that, um, there needs to be a value to it. And it, it isn't just, as I you know facetiously said, creating a cool 3D version of my logo and trying to sell it. Different if I were to create that cool 3D version of the logo and then say, by the way, if you buy this, you will get blah, blah, blah. I'll take you for dinner the next time I'm in Vegas. We'll go and do a, a a tour around. I'll take you on a tour up and down the strip and point you out some of my favorite spots. There's, there's creating and, and adding that value in that experience to it, which I guess is where a lot of that is going to come in, in Las Vegas in the next little while with NFTs and, and cryptocurrency. Your, your video on resorts world was fascinating to me. I found it really interesting to see what they are are doing in working with their residencies and working with their their experiences and combining the NFTs that are being offered by some of the dif- different artists that are uh, hosting residencies there and and making that part of the resorts world experience. Resort worlds, it's caught my attention. I know it's had some issues filling up. Uh, the hotel for occupancy, but they've been very forward thinking and they're also very accepting of content creators. I've talked, I've talked about this on the guest list many, many times that Vegas has been done a very, very bad job at implementing the 4d. It's a, it's still very primitive. It's still very, what you see is what you get. I don't know if it's because of the corporate corporatization of the strip. And so there's too many checks and balances and it just like, just becomes too much. 
Resort World, you could literally walk around with a camera crew and they don't, they encourage you. Like, they're very friendly to content creators. It's not like them. I'm sure you've been kicked out many times for trying to record stuff. Like, it just continually yeah. happens over and over. So, first, they allowed that. It was their opening day. There was so many influencers there recording with camera crews. I went with that, with that Resort World video. I had three people with me with cameras and they're just like watching, like, super cool about it. So they announced originally that they were going to partner with Gemini Exchange. Gemini is one of the most popular American exchanges created by the Winklevoss twins. So if you guys have seen Social Network, then you know who the Winklevoss twins are, which is regulated in New York. What they're actually going to do with that, I'm unsure, um, which I'll talk about that in a second. But I think they wanted to implement it with their wireless or their, their what is it, walletless payment gambling uh-huh. network or something which hasn't really caught attention yet but then they later announced that they're they're using theta blockchain as their blockchain of choice which caught everyone by surprise no one yes it's theta's very valuable but it's not really being utilized that much and their nft platform is like not really been released but then i started looking more into it and if we talk about content creators Two of the founders of the Theta Network is one of the co-founders of YouTube, and another one is a former CEO of Twitch. Uh-huh. So you start looking, you're like, oh, okay, they're going super big into like the creator economy, which is what's emerging. And then the, th- the only thing they've done so far is I've heard they've they've announced or they've handed out Katy Perry NFT tickets. I don't know if it's just for their VIP people or whatever, but my my thought is like, okay. If you're going to experiment with first, probably VIP tickets will be the NFTs. And then you could say something like, oh, if you have three of these NFTs, then you could go to lunch with Katy Perry, or you could go backstage with her, or these one-of-one experiences. So I think Resort World is going to primarily become the creator economy hotel, and you're going to see all the YouTubers and stuff staying down there. But you could also implement things like at Zook Nightclub, right? So if you have, you, you can have a one-of-one nft where if you buy bottle service then you could go hang out in the dj booth with tiesto or maybe then you could go up to his private room afterwards and hang out with him or tiesto will buy taught you could go eat tacos with tiesto or whatever weird promos (laughs) it just packages it much easier than you see these giveaways that are promoted where it's like oh you have to go read this contract and then we have to apply here and you have to be here it's just like here's the token and you want it and if you don't want it then you could just sell it on the secondary market to whatever people perceive as the market value uh-huh. it's interesting because it 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 seems like and i wonder if this is just a case of the as you say the corporatization of some of the big like mgm resorts and caesars and if they they just don't get it and and having worked in the past for radio stations that were run by these big corporations and by guys that just don't get it i mean 1999 the year 2000 i was working for a radio station and we were talking about talking to our program director saying we need to get a website the internet's a fad it's a fad it's not going to be a thing flash forward 22 years later and i mean it's it's definitely was not a fad (laughs) um so i just kind of wonder if maybe to a certain degree it's just a different mentality with, as you say, with Caesars and, and MGM and these big companies that just maybe just don't get it. And they're looking at crypto and they're looking at NFT and going, you know, this is a fad. This is going to be this is going to be trouble. This isn't going to work for us. We'll we'll let that resort at the north end handle it and see how it goes for them. 
and maybe down the road we'll get into this. Yeah, you know, I guarantee you they thought that, but it's slowly shifting and changing. MGM had a pretty big blockchain conference December of 2021. Um, Our connection, he gave us free tickets through Native. He's kind of like their blockchain lead, and he told us that they started working on blockchain stuff towards the beginning of 2021. The the thing with 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 casinos and crypto, um, through my conversations with the Gaming Control Board at one of our last meetups, so I do monthly meetups at Blackfire Innovation, which is owned by UNLV and Caesars. It's a 144-acre property, which was given to them by Oscar Goodman in like the 90s. But now they're finally building out a tech center. I had three gaming control board members come. Um, one of them is actually like the, the CEO of it or whatever you call it. They're very interested in it. They have a lot of, I wouldn't say it's skepticism. They have a lot of concerns around like the KYC of using Bitcoin on the craps table. Um, there was two things that definitely caught my eye. First, like they have to know where the funds are coming from. But also one person said the the like detachment from reality. There was like a psychological component too where... It's much easier to spend two Bitcoin gambling than it is to say, oh, this shit is $120,000. So that was something that they brought up that I hadn't thought about. But what they did, they did express a lot of interest within NFTs because it's not always tied to uh, financial compensation because you could tie in experiences and IPs and all these other things that have been essentially like value locked. So you'll, my thoughts, like you'll see NFTs pop up and everything around gambling and then gambling will kind of be like, the final boss, essentially. But that is, I think that's still many years away. And so Circa actually um, is doing an NFT project now, too. They're doing a Vegas Vicky NFT. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I went up there to, to scan it. It said, come, come up to their rooftop bar. I scanned it, and it just took me to their website. And I was like, you guys got me. <laughs> you guys rugged me. <laughs> but they also, on their website, so Circa, they also own, was it Golden Gate and the D... They on their website they announced that they're uh, accepting Bitcoin in some of their I think it's like gift shops and some of the other places have cashier. They're using something called BitPay and BitPay is just a payment processor where you could pay them with Bitcoin and then it gets converted to cash immediately and then the the merchant gets the cash. So I'm gonna create a video on that. There's 280 crypto ATMs that exist in Vegas and they're in the most random spots. I just did a video that there's one inside of uh, Heart Attack Grill. They really? had a Bitcoin ATM right next to the cashier in Heart Attack Grill. I'm like, why is somebody like trying to eat an 8,000 calorie burger and then buy some <laughs> Bitcoin on the way out? Like people are just, I don't know if it's more of just like a marketing novelty thing, but then also uh, Crazy Horse uh, 3, which is one, a large strip club, is now accepting Bitcoin for lap dances and you could tip the servers and for table service. And they said they have plans to add different payment structures within it. And I thought that was interesting because Bitcoin, a lot of the, the casinos have been very hands-off to Bitcoin. Just it's Obviously, it's been approved, but it's considered a property in America. So it's like anytime you transact in Bitcoin, it's considered a taxable event. But there's so many transactions happening. Everyone's like realizes there's no way you can just enforce that forever. So they're kind of just going going in on it, which is cool. And there was also a, a crypto strip club in 2017, 2018 in Vegas called Legends Room, which only lasted about eight months. So I think it was a little bit too early for its time. But now you have Derek Stevens down downtown is really focusing on not just 
crypto, but NFTs, he's going hand in hand. Resort World, both, they're doing crypto and NFTs. And then you have a strip club with CH3 accepting Bitcoin as payment to tip the strippers and the dancers. So what else is going to pop up? MGM is very interested. They're doing uh, blockchain conferences. They had they partnered with Real Vision, which is run by uh, Raul Pal, who's like a super popular macro investor. And they said they're coming back. NFT land was supposed to come here. They canceled. But now we have Las Vegas NFT. It's like the, the local community NFT group. So there's a lot of stuff happening. But to me, it just makes sense because Vegas, it's an entertainment capital. Mm-hmm. But it's been slowly moving to an experience capital. Yeah. And NFTs capture experiences or package them in a, a much more simplicate, sim, simplistic way than before. I never even thought about the regulatory and legal ramifications of cryptocurrency. That wasn't even something in my brain. But knowing my limited knowledge about the Gaming Commission and the Gaming Control Board and what how deep they go into investigations when there's a new licensee or a casino being built or purchased or whatever. That makes sense. As you say, they want to know where all the money's coming from. They want to make sure that it's not being funneled out of Russia into basically laundered into casinos here in Vegas, I guess. Yeah, there's, it's very interesting. So I think what's eventually going to happen is there will be a pilot system within a casino where they're not using Bitcoin, but we'll use Caesars coin, right? And then, so it'll be basically like a walled garden, kind of like a, a Facebook meta thing where you're using their currency. They could track all the movements. They could also at any time, any point in time, shut off your wallet. But then you'll have to basically funnel in $1,000 or $100,000 and they could put limits up because they want to protect people from from just addiction of gambling because we see that happens so often. Sure. But even on the next level too, I, the city of Las Vegas is actually very interested as well. I have uh, monthly calls with um, some of the people in the, like just the business or economic development center. I've talked with multiple uh, city councilmen um, and they see the vision of Vegas as an NFT hub as well. Unfortunately, they move like one mile per hour. <laughs> 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 if that yeah but they are working on crafting some um some programs for to to help attract crypto entrepreneurs and investors down here in the city and yeah they're not shying away from it i've been helping them kind of inquire different knowledge of how to go about certain things and we're trying to create a a blockchain advisory board for the city i keep trying to tell them literally all i have to do is just tell carolyn goodman to tweet she's interested in blockchain <laughs> technology and you will attract so many different people here. Yeah. Because crypto is just like, they're just looking for, they're just looking for a home. They're looking for somewhere where they could feel protected because mm-hmm. there are a lot of areas, not just in America, but across the world that are against crypto because it takes the power away from those who have power. Sure. But Vegas is pretty, I'd say it's, it's liberal. It's a purple state. It kind of goes back and forth, but it's very progressive. Rather mm-hmm. you, regardless of which side of the aisle that you're on. I think finally the whole entire city is waking up to seeing like, oh, this is how Vegas can finally bridge off of tourism dependency. It just it just completely makes sense. And for an example, Miami and Marisores, Marisores tweeted out right when the pandemic started that it was interested in blockchain technology. Fast forward two years, there was, I think around $10 billion raised in VC capital and 25% of that was in Miami just because Marisor has said that he was interested in Bitcoin. And mm-hmm. so now all of Silicon Valley has pretty much moved down there and to Austin, Texas, and some people in Tennessee and in Vegas. And the four 
And the common thing between all four of us is no state taxes. Uh-huh. So there's obviously a financial incentive to all of it. But Vegas, I think it's in a good position. It might move a little bit slower. The private sector will probably have to lead. And I think Resort World is probably going to be like the blockchain, I guess you say, aficionado for the rest of the, the corporations in the city. This has been ridiculously helpful and has cleared up a lot of the confusion um, in my own world and in my own brain of cryptocurrency and NFTs and see, I was actually able to pronounce it properly this time. Uh, Baby steps. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jake, if people want to learn more about you and about crypto and NFTs, you, of course, you've got a website, you're on social media. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah. JakeGallon.com. Just put that up. So that's kind of nice to say. Uh, If you want to learn more about crypto, Twitter, Twitter's where everything is at JakeGallon underscore. Instagram at Jake Allen and then the podcast Jake Allen pod, but also just subscribe to the YouTube channel. I have all the podcast stuff up there, but also more of the new crypto in Vegas content, like the resort world video. So um, yeah, just shoot me a message if anyone's interested in, in moving to Vegas or crypto in Vegas or just general crypto questions. I'm, I'm always open as long as I have some time, I'll respond. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Once again, if you want to learn more about the crypto and NFT world, check out Jake's website at jakegallon.com. And while you're there, take a listen to the Jake Gallon podcast, which you can also find on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. Or drop me an email directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been Jeff Does Vegas, a Walker New Media production. Walker New Media.